Welcome back to the last word on Sens Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. And joining me, making his return to the podcast for our yearly podcast is the one and only Kevin Lee, also known on Twitter as Bring Back Lee. Kevin, how's it going today? Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. I think this is year three now, if I'm not mistaken, of doing our uh, our annual player grades, where at the end of the season, we we go through, and for anyone who hasn't listened to past year's episodes, it's pretty straightforward. We go through the entire Senators roster and by each player, and we just kind of give them a grade for the season. You know, it's always nice uh, having someone on who, you know, me and you always have uh, – uh, different criteria, I would say, is definitely fair, you know, based on expectations and just what actually happened in, in the year can definitely sway things as well. So we'll go through all the forwards, defense and goalies and as well as probably coaching and maybe even GM if we have uh, have the time at the end for sure. So um, we're not going to do traded players. We already went over that at the beginning. Uh, so we figured, yeah, let's uh, let's just go with you know, like we're. I don't think too many people need a Tyler Mott breakdown or a Nikita Zaitsev, and pretty sure it's pretty obvious what, a, especially a Zaitsev one would have been anyway. So, um, all right, let's just get into it. Let's start with the forwards. I think that's uh, definitely going to be the biggest chunk. So, so we'll run through it. Uh, and honestly, let's just start from the top and go down. I'm on daily faceoff here. Uh, maybe I should even pull up cap friendly and we can just go by name of the forward so we can switch it up a little bit. That way we're not going straight from uh, top six to bottom six, but it will be highest paid players. So it'll be a similar uh, thing here. Let's start with it. The captain, Brady Kachuk. Um, I'll let you go first. What'd you give Brady Kachuk as a grade and just give me a little breakdown as why. Sounds good. So preface as always, I tend to grade players based off of what my expectations of preseason were for them. So Obviously, last year we saw a big jump in uh, Brady's game. He had last uh, he had uh, 30 goals last year for the first time, which I think surprised a lot of people. And this year he took a huge jump again. He's uh, over a point per game, 83 and 82, 35 goals. So we've got even more goals than last year. I think nobody could have probably seen this coming when we first drafted him. Everyone thought he was a power forward with potentially some ceiling on offense, but he's already hit that and still going. I think it's an easy uh, A-plus this year. And I think the thing is, though, the bar is set that much higher for him next year. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I was debating between A and A plus, and I settled on an A plus as well. You know, I know I don't give those out too often either, but uh, there'll, there'll be a couple of guys that definitely have it this year. But uh, yeah, just for you, what you said, I mean, like the guy had 83 points in 82 games. I mean, if and, and again, scoring was up this year, but if you would have told anyone that he was going to hit over point per game in a full 82 game season at any point in his career, people would have been ecstatic on draft day. And, and not only did he do that, but he was the third highest uh ranked senator in terms of goals above replacement as well. Um, you know, he he was a, a solid possession player both ways, um, you know, for this team. So, um, and that's, you know, not even including the off-ice stuff, you know, just on ice, he, he led the team in Corsi 4 percentage uh, and expected goals. That's including defensemen as well, um, you know, and then off the ice, you know, he, he was the captain. And again, this team, they did take a step forward this year. You know, obviously it was uh, – bit of a windy way to get there and all the ups and downs but at the end of the day they finished a couple points out of a playoff spot which is kind of where we expected them to be so yeah no for for me it's a brady kachuk it's an a plus as well yeah but i think we also have to mention the fact like he's become so ingrained in the community like this year he made that big uh boys and girls club announcement being their uh, honorary captain or whatever that program was called so i think that's just fantastic like already he's proven that he was probably the proper choice for captain 
Yep, absolutely. Like if there was any doubt for whatever reason, I think he he solidified that this year as well. Um, all right, let's go on to another. I said I don't give them out this easy. I'm starting with two though. Claude Giroux is the next player up by Cap Friendly, and I'm also giving him an A+. Um, my expectations for him coming in were he was going to be a good veteran leadership role, you know, kind of be a big addition to the top six in terms of, I, I was kind of hoping like if he puts up, I don't know, somewhere in the range to 60 to maybe even 70 points as a high mark, you know, that would be amazing for this year and just kind of, you know, kickstart the, the, the top six a little bit. So they had another scoring option after Stutzla, Kachuk and Batherson and obviously Norris up there as well. And he blew my expectations out of the water, 35 goals, 44 assists, 79 assists in 82 games. He was a rock. And I mentioned Kachuk's, uh, um, numbers in possession as well. Giroux is the exact same thing. 56% expected goals ranked second, just behind uh, Brady Kachuk and Eric Branstrom. And 56.3 is actually tied in Corsi 4 with Kachuk for the team lead. So he was absolutely amazing on the ice. And honestly, I felt like Giroux was one of the rare players where I'm sure it did happen from here or there, but I can really not think of too many bad games that he had this year. You know, there was there was a couple games or even a stretch where I went, hmm, Brady's a little quiet, you know, even if it's only two or three games. I really can't think of a three-game stretch where I went, I just have not noticed Claude Giroux. I loved everything about his game this year. 100%. Like, he's probably the easiest A-plus on the team. Like, if you told me a player at age 35 was going to set a new career high in goals, I would not believe you. But somehow he did in Ottawa. 35 goals, like, that's crazy, especially for all the years he played in Philadelphia at a younger age. Like, who would have thought? And the thing is, he wasn't he wasn't quite a point per game, like you mentioned, 79-82. But you have to remember, he spent like 90% of the season on power play two. If he was on power play one, he probably leads the team in points. It's insane what we got this year. And it's unfortunate we didn't make playoffs with the performance that Giroud brought to the team. But it really makes you wonder, like, what are our expectations for Giroud next year? Yeah, exactly. It's so hard to know because, you know, like, I, I think one of the – the biggest things about him signing that three-year deal is everyone kind of looked at uh, comparables like Patrick Marlowe when he signed in Toronto. And granted, Marlowe was older and not as good when he signed, but you know, one of the big wins was keeping that to a three-year deal versus, say, a five that people were even worried about at the time. So it'll be interesting to see if he can replicate this because you know it shouldn't be just automatically assumed that he does, I don't think. But if he can, that's definitely a giant thing. And the power play two points, a great point. And something I've tried to make as a reason for me just loving Drew all year, we didn't hear a peep out of him complaining about being on power play two this year. And it could have been really easy for a veteran to come in and say, no, I'm paid the big bucks. I'm playing power play one. Instead, he he went and controlled power play two, gave them a, a good unit on power play two and just did his thing. And again, yeah, you never heard a complaint out of him. He was just a great guy all the way through easy. A plus. All right, let's move on to the next guy. And I think this will be the first one, definitely, that the, the grade changes. And we might have a couple in a row here. And uh, the first name on Cap Friendly is Alex Debrinkit that we are going to go through. Um, and I'm just realizing he's actually not. We skipped one by, do you want to touch on Josh Norris quite? Like, there's not much to give him, right? Like, he was injured the entire year. It's just kind of been an unfortunate year for Norris. There's not much to evaluate. Yeah, agreed. Like, very unfortunate because it would have been great to see how we would have messed with obviously the brink at to start the season, but unfortunately that shoulder injury and he came back for a game or two and down he went again. But I think you hope he can uh, go back to what he, we saw in his work here and build on that next season. 
Yeah, absolutely. But I'll, I'll go N.A. for uh, not enough information here for Josh Norris. So that brings us to Alex Dabrinkit. Uh, give me your grade on Dabrinkit. This is a tough one. Obviously, he came into the team, brand new team, brand new environment. He'd been in Chicago his whole career up to then. And then, like we mentioned, Norris went down. So here he is stuck now uh, being a winger with a rookie center in Shane Pinto. And then obviously a struggling Bathurst in the season. So he wasn't ever put like in, I would say, a position to succeed. He was given a heavy power play one time, though. I will note that. And so, obviously, we all know he was not quite a 40-goal scorer this year, only getting uh, 27. Still put up 66 and 82, which is decent. He still showed that he is an Iron Man, can play all 82 games despite his size. I still think we all expected more from him when we acquired him at the draft. I would probably give him a probably a C, C plus maybe, because he did he did look good playing. Like, when you watched him, he would drive play. He would bring the puck up the ice. He was forechecking hard despite his lack of body size. I think it's, it's very hard to judge his season just because he really wasn't in the best position to see this year. And he never got any extended playing time with Tim Stutzel outside of preseason. Yeah, that's why I'm actually going to go B minus. I, I was between that C plus B minus range where I, I definitely think it, it it's you can't say he was even close to an A because he was underwhelming. That That's for sure. Um, and you know, I think, but it is fair to point out, yeah, like he, he's playing with a, a rookie in Shane Pinto or a guy in Derek Broussard, who was the, Broussard was the 13th forward for this team to start the year, you know, so he wasn't put in the greatest position to succeed. And then the other thing that, you know, I'm not necessarily going to fault him for, um, especially just yet, you know, obviously you got to give him another year. He shot 5% below his career average this year. And you know, maybe you look at that and he was gripping stick a little too tightly at times, but I think generally speaking, that was just some bad luck. And, and you know, if he shoots closer to his career average of 15.5% versus 10.3, you know, that's probably a guy who's got 33-ish goals and we're we're looking at this season a little differently, you know? So, you know, you can't just assume he's going to get those goals next year, but yeah, definitely from this year, I think he was a little bit unlucky. And as you said, there was definitely flashes there. It's just finding that consistency to get closer to that B plus a minus range where, you know, that, that would really put him over the edge. But yeah, I think it's more than fair to say disappointing given the high expectations he had coming in, but also I, I don't think it was quite as bad of a season as people were making it out to be. All right, on to another player in, uh, uh, I think this one's probably fair to say disappointing compared to expectations, and uh, that'd be Drake Batherson, who finishes the year with 62 points in 82 games, 22 goals, 40 assists. You know, not horrible numbers or anything like that, um, but I'm, I gave him a C plus. I just found there was a lot of nights I didn't notice Drake Batherson at all. Um, and, and, you know, he, he ends up with all right numbers and, and that's why I don't think I could go any lower than that, but you know, he, he ranks eighth on the team in total in goals above replacement. Like he just, he wasn't, uh, a dominant force really on either end of the ice. I, I just kind of found like he ended up slotting into a secondary role, which for $4.95 million, maybe that's what he does, but I had really hoped he would almost take the next step. Like we saw Giroux take and put up those Giroux type point numbers. So Giroux could put up his type point number. So I was a little under underwhelmed with Drake Batherson this year. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I have him at a C like I had very high expectations for Batherson this season, especially coming off a near point per game season last year. And he looked dominant at times last year. Now, granted he did lose the center and Josh Norris, which he had fantastic chemistry with, but still he, he underwhelmed a lot many nights. And for, for some reason this season, I don't know if you noticed, but 
he looked like much more of a disaster in his own end than I've noticed in previous years. Now, a big question obviously is, is how much is that high ankle sprain causing like issues within this season? Like they said, it takes over a year for that to be fully recovered. And as we, you might have noticed near the end of the season, he did look like he was skating a lot better. So I think there is a lot of hope that next year we might see the Batherson of last year versus the one we got this season. Yeah, and I think even just probably not having most of the summer this year to train properly or, you know, as much as he might have liked is probably makes more of a difference than we're willing to admit. Because, yeah, I definitely agree where I thought as the last 25, 30 games went on, he looked better, you know, versus the first 50 or so where where he was pretty underwhelming, just, you know, literally looked lost out there some nights, especially in his own end where it was just, well, there was just a... Um, a weird turnover that it's like, what are you doing? Or, or just a random play that, you know, he's not getting the puck out or, or whatever. So yeah, I definitely still am optimistic for Drake Batherson, but it's more than fair to say that, uh, you know, this was a, a disappointing year for him personally. Um, all right, let's go to the next guy. Cat Friendly's got such a fun list because it goes by the season, uh, this season's ELC. So we're definitely missing a top six four, but we'll get to him. But uh, Matthew Joseph is the next uh, next guy up on the list. And uh, I'm curious to see where you have him ranked um, because, you know, I, I had mixed feelings about his season. You know, when we originally started, when I sat down to kind of get my overview of everyone's season, I, I definitely wasn't... Um, thrilled with Joseph's season, but, you know, looking at the underlying numbers, I'm maybe a little higher on it now. Where did you come in with Matthew Joseph? I probably have him at a, uh, a C plus, like, obviously I think there's no sense fan that should have believed that his 12 points in 11 games last year was sustainable over the course of a full season. He was getting top line minutes. And as we know, the Sens always seem to excel in those final dozen games during those tank seasons at the same time too. I don't think anybody probably would expect him to live to the contract that he was handed either, especially if he wasn't given a top six role. Like you mentioned, his underlying numbers were good. It, the eye test, he played pretty well. He just didn't seem to get much puck luck this year, only ending up with three goals, obviously, and 18 points. Like, I think with better puck luck, his numbers probably improve a bit. He obviously was given an opportunity in the top six of it, which he did not produce in. But I think he pretty much ex- played – about what I would have expected of him. Obviously the C plus indicates it was a bit below, but not like he was a massive failure on any means. Yeah. I'm going to go B minus C plus that kind of range too, maybe closer to a C plus. Yeah. And I totally agree. It's just, I, I have a hard time getting over the 18 points in 56 games is just feels a little underwhelming, but he's another guy where I really think, you know, that injury right in the middle of the season kind of derailed his season. And even when he got back, he didn't look quite like himself when he got back right away. Um, So I really think that might've hurt, but I also think he was just a bit unlucky because yeah, you look at basically any any underlying number and it it suggests he probably deserved a little more than he should have. Like he, he had more goals above replacement than Alex to this year, um, but from evolving hockey's metrics. So, you know, like that, uh, that gives you an idea of, you know, how well he was playing. Cause it's not like to bring played poorly either. He had 4.9, um, Joseph had 4.9 goals above replacement in 56 games, which uh, was 0.1 behind Drake Batherson for the year. So um, I, I think that maybe he was a little unlucky, but yeah, there's got to be a tale of two, two in-betweens there where he was never going to hit the peak we saw late last year, but I do think there is another slight step up for him as a third line player. And hopefully if they can find some regular line mates for him to play with uh, this coming year, whether that just be Shane Pinto with uh, Josh Norris healthy, I think that'll go a long way for him as well. All right. Next up on the list is Austin Watson. And um, 
this is another fun one because the expectations are always so much lower than really anyone I think that we have mentioned so far. Um, I'm still going to give Austin Watson a um, C. C. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll give Austin Watson a C, maybe a C minus kind of in that range. I, I don't know. My expectations were low for him. I just, I, we've had this, we had this conversation last year, to be quite honest. Like I just, I don't, I know he tries hard. He seems like a good guy in the room and, and those are useful for something. But when a team wants to turn the corner and win, I just don't think he's a guy that you can have playing 82 games a year or wanting to be dressing 82 games a year. And, you know, he, he chipped in with 11 points, but he just, he kind of lost every fight he was in. And again, he just kind of felt like he was chasing the game more than controlling it. And that's, that's not a good recipe to win in 2023. Yeah. For me, I have a D, which means he met my expectations, but like you said, my expectations were very low. Like you said, his, his skating just isn't there. He can't help drive the play. He did put up nine goals, which was kind of impressive, especially some of them were actually some pretty nice goals. So like I could almost give him a B plus just because his offensive production is already above what I would have expected him coming in. But I completely agree that if the Sens are to be a playoff team next year, you probably cannot run him in your fourth line. Yeah, exactly. Especially, you know, I didn't, and we'll get to Castellick and even Kent Parker Kelly in a bit, but like you can't run all three of them out there. You know, like I just, even if you want to say one or two of them are fine on their own or whatever, it was just painfully obvious the three of them together didn't work, but it was just, you know, something that was just rammed like through and through to try and get that as a thing. And again, like, we just had multiple guys who played 50 plus games with 12 or less points. It's like, well, we just, you just can't have that, you know? Uh, all right. Next on our list officially is Dylan Gambrell. Um, you give me your thoughts here. Cause I, I don't know if I really have a ton. He might be one of the more forgettable guys to play 60 games in a season for the set of yeah, For me, he's exactly like Watson, very low expectations. He's like, almost the perfect definition of placeholder player and that you can put him in the lineup and you probably won't notice him much. So with that, I give him a B. He did exactly what I'd expect Dylan Gambrell to do. He was there. He wasn't extremely negative when you watch him, but he wasn't extremely positive. He was just kind of there. Yeah. Uh, that's, a sum. <laughs> that's a great way to describe it. I'm going to go see again, just because yeah, like, I don't know. He had a worse, a slightly worse course he four than Austin Watson somehow, which pretty impressive to do it 2023 i again yeah i don't know like just for how little he played it's hard to say he was a super net negative but again when he's the third or fourth name that you're kind of raising an eyebrow at it becomes a bit more of a concern so um i i saw some people saying oh should he come back as a 13th forward i think you could shoot a little higher than that next year and uh um you know gambrell good serviceman or whatever but i think that's kind of the end of the line with him uh, Shane Pinto is the next name up on our list here. Uh, he had an interesting season, and I definitely think another guy where it would have been nicer to see what he could have done in a full year where he was being properly cast, um, but obviously had to jump up to the second line uh, a little sooner than we maybe thought and kind of juggled between that second and third line. I'm going to give him a B minus. I think he was, he had a good year or not a bad year. Um, you know, 20 goals was it was great to see him shooting the puck and really having success doing that. But and I, I think the assist will rise naturally, but he definitely looked out of place in that top six, which isn't totally his fault. But even I thought we saw a guy like Ridley Gregg come in there at some points and and almost look even a little more comfortable in that role. So I'm gonna give Shane Pinto a B minus. I didn't think he had a bad year by any means, but there's definitely things he can keep improving on. 
Yeah, for me, I would give him a B plus. Like at the end of the day, this is a, a rookie who's playing his first 82 game season. And then all of a sudden Norris goes down. And he's thrust into the top six on a team that was expected to compete for the playoffs. And he's got a brand new to brink at and they still somewhat injured Batterson on his wings. Right. Like that is a tough position for any rookie to be put in, especially one that's not like a highly touted rookie. Right. Like he wasn't a top pick that's expected to slide right into the top six. He was slotted as a third line center. And he had his peaks and uh, valleys. Like, the beginning of the season was a struggle. He finished much stronger, I thought. Like, the final stretch of the season, he played very well, I thought. Did not look out of place. Drove play a lot better. Like, at the end of the day, he did look like he struggled, but that wasn't his fault when you're thrust into such a difficult situation in your rookie year. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think if he goes in slotted as the 3C next year alongside uh, Matthew Joseph and then whoever they they pick up on the, the left side there for him, I feel pretty comfortable about him being in that role where I think that's he's going to look good. And it really, when they did have that Mott-Pinto-Joseph uh, line going early in the year, the first six or seven games, they looked unreal every time they touched the ice. Like they were just causing mayhem. I, I went down early um, in the, the – it was – home game two and three. So the Capitals and Coyotes, I went to go see them in October and that line was just buzzing everywhere. And then unfortunately the Coyotes game is when Josh Norris got injured and that's when the line had to get split up. So I definitely think, yeah, full line mates and just a full season for him playing in an expected role would be great. Uh, Next guy up is the one and only Tim Stutzla. And if people are wondering why he's this low down, it's because his cap hit was an amazing 925K this year. Uh, still on his ELC. And uh, yeah, Giroux, we said Giroux was one of the easiest uh, A-pluses to give out. Tim Stutzla is an absolute slam dunk A-plus. You cannot convince me otherwise. Yeah, does anybody even need to explain why Tim Stutzla is getting an A-plus? We are on the verge of seeing a superstar develop like in front of our eyes. And like, what is the ceiling for Tim Stutzla? Like the years ahead are going to be exciting. It's awesome. And I keep, so like anyone who doesn't watch Ottawa as closely, I keep pumping the Jack Hughes comparison where it's given me, and he's had better numbers than Jack Hughes had last year. You know, Hughes got hurt midway through last season last year. He's a year older than Stutzla now, but this year was Hughes breakout, like coming out party. The devil's obviously making the playoffs is a huge thing to do with that. I think Tim Stutzla takes that jump to like superstardom next year. You can already argue he was on the cusp of it this year. Like, and his two-way game improved a bunch as well, which, is super encouraging to see. So yeah, just a slam dunk A plus. The the bar set a lot higher for him now, but I mean, man, he's already making that uh eight point seven five look like a steal of a contract. Yeah, already on the penalty kill and creating shorthand chances. Like, what more can you ask for? <laughs> he looked like or eight point three five. Oh my god, that contract's so good. Um, yeah, like he and I loved how he looked on the penalty kill. And I was really happy DJ kept him out there because I really thought the Sens penalty kill lacked a lot of speed. Missing guys like obviously we know why Formanton's not on the team anymore, but even moving out of Connor Brown from last year as well, who you know really disrupted with his speed and and um, you know Nick Paul isn't the fastest guy, but he put a lot of pressure on as well. So adding Tim Stutzla to that penalty kill to really give it an element of of speed was something that was really refreshing, and and I hope to see more of next year. Uh, okay, down the list now we're at Mark Kastelik or Kastelik, uh, however you wish. Um, Oh, this is another guy where I kind of struggled because I, I go, well, what really were my expectations of him? I'm going to give him a C as well, though. I 
I thought, you know, I don't think he was horrible by any means. I don't think he was the issue on the fourth line. But as I've said of the other two guys, the whole fourth line just didn't work. And, you know, I, I really thought they could have been a bright spot in terms of, obviously, they weren't carrying this team uh, to the be, be the end. But the bottom six was a crucial problem for this team. And I didn't really expect that. So I'm going to give Castellic a C. I didn't think he was horrible by any means. I just thought, you know, I, I was a little disappointed. Yeah, I'm at a B minus. I think I, after his pretty successful season last year, then the year with the Ottawa Senators, I was expecting a bit more of him given the opportunity now to be a full-time player. Of course, as you mentioned previously, he was also put in a tough situation having Kelly and Watson, and that's a full line of players that really are not puck possession players. So it'll be interesting to see if he's run back next year with some better line mates, how he can produce. Yeah. Um, the next three guys I'll group into one, Julian Gauthier, Parker Kelly, and Patrick Brown. Um, do you have any differing grades on any three of these guys? I think actually Patrick Brown and Julian Gauthier both impressed me in that I had very low expectations of them coming in, especially Julian Gauthier, which is advanced stats were pretty terrible in New York. But from the eye test and uh, watching him play, he actually gave some speed, like you mentioned, to the bottom six, which Ottawa is very much lacking. So I would give Gauthier a B plus. I would give Brown a B plus too, given the number of defensive zone starts he had. He actually provides some pretty solid minutes for Ottawa in terms of like swallowing the hard assignments and really not giving up too much. And then Parker Kelly, I think like Castle, like I had slightly higher expectations of him. He did put up a fair amount of goals last year, which were unseen this year. Obviously he ran into injury trouble as well as being a healthy scratch quite often. So for Pat Parker Kelly, I'm probably at a C plus. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of all of them. I wouldn't mind if they brought back one of Gauthier or Brown as a 12th forward, or you know, even if they brought both of them down back and one's a 13th forward, if you will. And then, yeah, I think uh, maybe Parker Kelly, he looks like, you know, he's going to be a tweener kind of guy where, you know, you need those guys in the organization too, where someone gets injured for a stretch of games, you know, you can bring a, a Parker Kelly type up and he's not going to absolutely kill you for four or five games, but I wouldn't pe be penciling him into the lineup next year either. So, uh, and then the last forward I wanted to touch on uh, was Derek Broussard. And uh, um, this is another interesting one because I really didn't have much expectation for him. As I mentioned, he was the 13th forward to start this year. I don't believe he dressed for game one. Like he, he was the healthy scratch. And then, you know, Josh Norris obviously goes down and that gives him a full-time role. And, and that's the reason I'm going to give him a B plus. I couldn't quite bring myself to an A minus, but I think he's right in that range in terms of he played much better than I expected. Um, you know, he, he had 23 points in 62 games. It's not like he lit the lamp like crazy, but for a guy that I wasn't expecting to make any impact on this team, he played a pretty crucial role in having to step up and be a two and three C at times. And he did a, a relatively fine job for, you know, what you could ask of him. Yeah, I agree. I haven't had an A minus just because I wasn't particularly impressed by him during the preseason. So I was mildly surprised when he was actually offered a contract, but to get the production you got out of him and the leadership he added, and providing some of the best moments this season, the 1,000 game celebration, like he did above and beyond what you could expect of a PTO player. Yeah, absolutely. So like it was, a, I he's another guy where again, bring him back as a 12th forward for next year. I, I probably wouldn't have an issue. Uh, obviously, brutal way to end the season with that injury. So that that'll be something to keep an eye on, and and you know, especially for a guy his age. But uh, the only other forward I think maybe we could touch on is Ridley Gregg real quick. You know, he didn't play. Uh, the entire season necessarily, but I'd give him a probably a B. I, I liked what I saw out of Greg when he was playing. Obviously, he didn't play a ton, and and I think 
he definitely was still adjusting to the major league level, but I, I he's a guy I definitely want to see again next year. And, you know, I, I thought given the situation he was placed in, I thought he did an okay job. Yeah, I'm with you with him on a B. Like, obviously, the fan base of well probably has pretty high expectations of Grieg. You could argue he's probably our top prospect right now. So the expectations are higher than him than any other call-ups. But he did do pretty well with, uh, like, I think, with nine points in 20 games. So it's going to be exciting to see if he can uh, lock down a third-line position next year. Yeah, exactly. And where him, you know, because they have a lot of depth at center position now. So whether they try and slide someone like him to the wing for a little bit or or whether they're comfortable playing him in a 4C role next year, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with uh, Sutzla, Norris, Pinto, and, and Greg down the middle. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's the forwards. I don't believe I've missed anyone here. Um, so let's switch on to the defense, shall we? Uh, and I think the easiest one to start at is the guy who makes the most money, and that is Thomas Shabbat, uh, a polarizing figure, I would say, in Sensland this year. Uh, give me your grade on Shabbat and you know what you thought of his season overall. Shabbat's always been a funny player to me in that when you watch him, he always looks like he's kind of just skating around, never at a high intensity. But it's just the way he's had to learn the play, I think. Like we've always discussed on Twitter, all those 30 minutes, you have to learn the pace your minutes, right? Like, you cannot go 100 at the start or else you're just going to be dead by those final 10 minutes. And it almost seemed like that's the way he was still playing this season, even with his minutes starting to go down. I think near close, as the season went on, we started to see some improvement as he kind of realized, like, I don't need to play at this pace. But I still think, obviously, it was at this point in season, we, we have quite high expectations for Shabbat. So I'm probably at the C plus, B minus range. I could go either way there. I think next year will be the very interesting season for him now that he's got a full off season to recover knowing that he's not going to have to play 30 minutes next year with this uh, revamped decor. I think next year will really be the proving year for him to see. Can Shabbat go back to the original like high form that we've seen from him? Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, I, I'm trying not to overcorrect, I think for market and how like I, people were pissed with him at the end of the year. And I didn't really get that kind of hate. I I'm giving him a B on this season. I don't think it, it definitely was not above expected or anything. And, you know, there was definitely parts that underwhelmed. I will definitely say that's fair. There was a couple of times where it's like, dude, what are you doing in your own end here? But again, I think that's just because of how much he was playing. Like, um, his minutes declined and he still averaged 25 minutes a night per game. Um, you know, and so again, we, we saw those decline a little more when Jacob Chitrin came in, which is good. And I think that's going to be a trend that needs to uh, come down, but he's at 26, 26, 17, 26, 12. And now this year, 24, 58 for average time on ice. Like, I just don't know how you expect a guy to, to function every shift when playing that much, especially when he doesn't need to, especially because we're going to get to a couple guys, especially one who is going to be getting a very high grade who plays, who can take some of Shabbat's minutes. So, you know, in fact, both the guys on the left side can take, uh, are going to get high grades from me. I'll, I'll just say now. So, yeah, I don't know. I Shabbat's game was a little bit underwhelming. I think people were underwhelmed by the point totals maybe as well. I think he was a little unlucky there. I mean, he did have 11 goals, which is uh, second highest in his career, but I think he was almost unlucky to only have 30 assists. I think we see that number go back up again next year. Um, but the biggest thing for me in terms of giving him a B, say, versus a B minus or C plus, with how horrible his season was, he still led this team in goals above replacement. 14.6 goals above replacement. You know, this is a horrible year. We can't have it again. And he was still the most valuable player by evolving hockey. Again, I, I totally understand that's not the be all end all, but he had a 12.2 goals above replacement, even strength offense, which to me just speaks of how unlucky he was with some of those point totals, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Like Shabbat is in a way like Brandstrom in that 
he does a lot of the little things well that aren't as noticed by the fans. Yeah, for sure. And those things, you know, sometimes you're going to get lucky and those things will combine for an 80 point season or whatever. And, and other times you know, they combine for a 40 point season and the defensive warts are going to stick out a little bit because he's obviously not a perfect defender uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, no, I, I think definitely room for improvement for Thomas Shabbat next year. And it'll be interesting to see if his usage changes at all. Uh, and one of the reasons it could is because of this next guy up in Jacob Chitrin, who obviously comes over at the deadline. Um, you know, unfortunately was injured for part of the year at the end there, you know, which is not maybe the greatest omen for a guy whose knock is he couldn't stay healthy, but is great when he is healthy. Um, we didn't get to see a ton of Chitrin. You know, obviously he only played 12 games in a Senator's uniform. What did you think of him when he did play though? I think right now you have to give him a B grade. Like he came in as expected, a player that can obviously move the puck, offer some additional offense. Like you said, small sample size of 12 games, very hard to judge like what we have in him, but we know he can take minutes. The question now is obviously he's a lefty now and we're very left heavy. So it'll be interesting to see whether they run him or Shabbat on the right side next year, assuming they're paired together. But uh, he definitely gives you hope, at, especially at only 25 years old. He fits perfectly in line with the age group of this team for the core. Yeah, and the odd time they did move him over, even if it was just for a shift or two on the right D. Again, it was very low sample, so it's hard to take anything meaningful away. But I thought he looked good, too. You know, if it was just based on his play, I'd almost bump him up to an A-minus-A. But the, the injury and that's, again, a knock on him as well. And, you know, just getting accustomed to a new team, I think B is a fair grade. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what they do next year because I think he does give them a bunch of potential options. Um, Travis Hamanick is the next one up. I have a feeling, I don't know, I, I think I, we might did, uh, differ on this one again, but this is a, definitely could be an expectations versus what came of it uh, situation. How did you feel about Travis Hamannick this year? Yeah, again, Hamannick is probably another player. I had pretty low expectations coming this season, and he definitely struggled, as we know, with the uh, advanced stats. But at the same time, that was expected coming into the season for most fans, I think. So I would give him a B plus because he did – put up some pretty solid numbers and at the same time you do hear all the mentorship that he offered Sanderson so I don't think I, I know a lot of people want to discount that but I think, I think he helped them like at least help them introduce him to the NHL whether I bring Hammond back next year I could probably live with him as the seventh defenseman next year fill in his time but uh, I don't think he can be a regular next year if you're expecting to uh, compete for the Stanley Cup yeah, I agree with that. And I don't, the reason I argue against bringing him back as a seventh defenseman is I just, I don't believe he's going to get used that way. I think the coach likes him a little too much. So if we knew that he was going to be used as a seventh defenseman, I probably have less issue with it. Yeah, I'm giving Hamannick a C. Uh, like he was, he was fine. He was better than I expected. I'll give him that. But I'm still really skeptical of how much, even just watching him with my eye test. I think a lot of his improvement was just Jake Sanderson being better than I think even people want to give Jake Sanderson credit for. Um, again, it would have been a D if it wasn't for, you know, that off ice mentorship kind of thing. And he does seem like a good guy in the room and whatnot. And, you know, he was just like, again, he was much above my expectations this year and he still just kind of came out to like a replacement level defenseman. So it's like, I just, I don't want to give him too much credit. He, he was fine. And, you know, I thought once, 
He was at his best when they were using him in a sheltered role, almost on that third pair more often, where he could just kind of bomb the puck at free will and not have to worry about that heavy defensive kind of matchup. Because he like that was my biggest problem with him is I he just kind of got lost puck watching a lot in his own end, which is you know weird to say about a veteran, but I just didn't think he was really defensively sound. So um, I'm going to give him a C, better than expected. I wouldn't bring him back personally, but if it is, it, yeah, it, it can't be him playing 82 games in a year. I, I just don't think you're going to have success playoff-wise that way. Uh, all right. The next guy up would be uh, another veteran in art. Well, not veterans, a bit of a stretch, I guess, but another older guy, at least 27 years old, and Artem Zub. Um, he had an up and down year as well, just in terms of, uh, he got bit with the injury bug uh, a lot this year too. And it wasn't like he sat 40 games out at a time, but it kind of felt like he was in the lineup for 15 out for three in the lineup for a couple out for a couple. I don't know if that was actually the case. That's just kind of, kind of how I felt. Um, I'm going to give Zub a B, maybe a B minus. I like, I think he was fine again. Like I don't, I didn't have an issue with his game at all, but I don't think he, he didn't overwhelm me. Like he wasn't uh, overwhelming at all either. Yeah, I've had a B minus. I think I was hoping for a bit more of offensive production this year, especially after he showed quite a bit last year. And like you said, he wasn't particularly noticeable in a good way. At the same time, not particularly noticeable in a bad way, which at the end of the day isn't a terrible thing for a defenseman. But when you're getting paid in the uh, near five million, I think you hope for a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. If he was still on the 2.5 that he is this year, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's exactly what you need out of him. But yeah, going up to 4.6, you want a little bit more out of him. And and I do kind of wonder if, you know, we're going to get that if he can stay healthy and just play normally with Shabbat and the pairings kind of slide in, or even just normally with like a Jake Sanderson. I think that would be an interesting fit as their quote-unquote shutdown pair if you want to try and use them like that as well. Uh, I think that Zub would be very effective in that role next year as well. Uh, Nick Holden is the next guy up. Now there's a true veteran uh, doesn't sound like the team's going to bring him back. I believe it was confirmed that he wants to keep playing. He's going to look elsewhere for a contract. Uh, it will not be on the Ottawa Senators. I'm going to give Nick Holden a C. I didn't think, like, he was another guy where I didn't really notice him positively or negatively, I felt like, when watching him. But his underlying numbers were pretty disappointing this year. He was, like, last among all Senators in goals above replacement. Like, worse than Austin Watson, worse than Parker Kelly worse than Nikita Zaitsev even was in 28 games. Um, now, Zaitsev, that's probably a sample size thing. But I, I just, I don't know. I, he was a fine seventh defenseman, but I'm quite okay with him walking away because I, I didn't think he played particularly amazing this year. Yeah, I've had a C. I love Holden, love what he brings off the ice. But unfortunately, age, especially in your mid-30s, always catches up to you in the sports world. And it looks like this was the year that caught him, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty, it's as simple as that really, unfortunately, you know, again, like great pickup, you know, was really good for the time he spent here and being a mentor or whatever, but perfect time to move on. I think um, Jake Sanderson is the next guy and I'll let you go first on this one. Give me your grade for Jake Sanderson and your thoughts on a season. I have to imagine we're going to be the same on this one, but that's an easy A plus. Would you have expected a player coming from college straight to the NHL first pro season to shine this much, taking up the heavy minutes, having fans argue whether he's our best defenseman already. It's, it makes you scared, though, what his contract could be and how we're going to fit under the cap, but what an unbelievable season by Jake Sanderson. Already showing that he might have been the correct pick at the fifth pick and maybe even deserved to be higher. Obviously, I think there's obviously growth to be made on his offensive side, even though he still put up 32 points. That's funny enough to say that he can still build on that. That's how high our expectations are, but 
it's going to be very exciting to see how he plays next season, if, especially if he goes the uh, Tim Stutzler route of development. Yeah, A plus slam dunk for me as well. I I don't I definitely have not given out this many in any past year, but easy A plus for me. Again, as I mentioned, like I think his numbers are even more impressive given that he had to play the entire year with Travis Hamanek. I think you put an Artem Zub beside him for an entire year or even a, a Chitrin beside him for the entire year. And I think even his underlying numbers explode a little more uh as well. But yeah, like I'm it's funny you mentioned the contract. I think they did the right thing, even though he didn't play a game last year burning a year of his ELC because that means you're going to have a year less of data, which is a year less of him to be like, Oh, look how good I've been because he is unreal right away. So um, yeah, I definitely, you know, and I was one that was trying to pump the brakes a little bit on people before the season, because exactly as you mentioned, we don't see guys step out of college and be Kale McCarr right away. And I'm not saying he was quite Kale McCarr level or anything, but he was a legit top 32 defenseman in this league this year. And and that is just insanely impressive at 20 and in your first NHL season. So um, yeah, yeah, I was probably even a little underrating him heading into the year, but I think the sky's the limit for Jake Sanderson going forward. And I'm just super excited to see what he does in another full year next year. Uh, Eric Branstrom is the next guy up and uh, I'm not going to give him an A plus, but I am going to give him an A. I loved Eric Branstrom season. Um, He is another guy where I just wished even the organization would get it through his head. Yes. He's not who we traded for when we were trading Mark Stone, but he is the perfect third pair left defenseman who can help move the puck out. And is actually not bad in his own end, just because he's not a power play merchant. Like everyone thought he was going to be, doesn't mean he's a bad player. I thought Eric Branstrom had a phenomenal year in terms of he, when he was confident with that puck, he was one of the best puck movers I've ever set eyes on in terms of the way he skated the puck. He moved the puck through all three zones. It was incredible. I thought he was unlucky with his point total this year too. I'm giving Branstrom an A. I would love to see if they could bring him back on a cheap, you know, cheap-ish deal to be their third pair left-hand defenseman. Yep, I think you summed it up perfectly. I'm an A as well. I think the only thing he went from A plus, obviously, was point production. Like, he did get some power play time. Never was quite able to put the points in the power play time. Granted, near the end of the season when we had the heavy injuries, he did put up a lot more points five on five, given more ice time. So it shows you right there, like, given the opportunity, if he was on another team, he would probably have much better offensive numbers than he does here where he doesn't quite have the opportunity. But I think he's, like you said, the perfect third-bearing defenseman. He can move up in the lineup with injuries. And I think that's exactly what Ottawa's lacked in the past. When top defensemen went down in the past, Ottawa would just skid to a stop. And even to end the season, they still treaded water despite missing uh, Shabbat and Chikrin. And that's very much in part to Sanderson, but very much in part to Branstrom as well. Yeah, especially given how hard that schedule was standing the season too, right? Like it was a, a murderer's row of opponents for the last three, four weeks there without two of their best guys. And, and yeah, like I just... I don't know. I, I don't think the organization views him the same, unfortunately, but if there was a way to get Branstrom on a, anywhere from a two to four year deal at two and a half million dollar range or so, I would be all over that because yeah, as you said, I, I just think he's the perfect guy to play third pair minutes. He's going to dominate those minutes, but if Thomas Shabbat goes down for 12 games, you're not absolutely screwed. You know, Sanderson can move up and Branstrom can play that second pair role. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him this summer. I'm a massive Branstrom fan though. I hope they bring him back. Um, only other guy I think that we could touch on on the defense and again very very small sample size but honestly he was so impressive I wanted to bring him up eight games of Tyler Clevin at the end of the year I'm going to give Tyler Clevin an A acknowledging it's a super small sample size and we can't take too much from it I thought Tyler Clevin looked 
phenomenal for my expectation. Like I, I just, you know, I wasn't sure if he was even NHL ready. I thought, you know, I, I still think his peak is or his ideal pairing is probably third pair, but he looked really comfortable in an NHL role for such a young age. Yeah. Like Sanderson club is making us think that you can just come out of college and go straight to the NHL when it's not a common occurrence at all. He obviously, like you said, small sample size at eight games, but he led the team at 62.77% Corsi. But uh, I loved his game. He didn't look out of place at all during those eight games. And it'll be very interesting to see if he can actually pull out a roster spot to start the year next season. Well, and so I'm really happy they gave him the eight games because it is going to be intriguing now. And honestly, I feel more comfortable saying, okay, between him, JBD, and Lassie Thompson, one of those three guys can grab that third right-hand D slot, assuming you move like Chichen to the right side, and that's the way you go with it, right? So it gives them a bunch of interesting options. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts in Belleville either, but I, I think it's only, if he plays like that, it's only a matter of time before he works his way up. Yep, I think that's a perfect thing to echo in that the Sens are finally at a point where you can get, you can build your defense from within, and I think they no longer need to look outside for help. Yep, exactly. So that, that's a great thing. Um, all right, goaltending then. Ooh, this one is going to be more interesting. Let's start with uh, let's start with Anton Forsberg. Um, you know, obviously just devastating injury, both knees that he goes down with. Um, you know, he's already said he, he's going to spend all summer rehabbing and he's ready to, uh, not ready to go, but he's already starting to rehab and that's going to be his sole focus this summer. So let's hope he can come back better than ever. Um, when he did play, it was, it was a little bit of a mixed bag, definitely 3.26 goals against average, 902 save percentage. I'm going to give him a, C plus B minus kind of in there. I, I didn't think the save percentage was quite reflective of how I thought he played better than his save percentage maybe. Um, but that being said, a nine Oh two is just not going to get it done for a guy you were hoping was going to start 41, 42 games for you. So I can't be more than a B minus really, but I didn't think his raw numbers maybe quite um, reflected his play. If that makes sense. Yeah. I echo that exactly. I'm going to be minus like there's some, pretty terrible raw numbers but i can't remember what it was but on twitter i saw if you look at the more advanced uh, goaltending stats he's actually still in the upper echelon of goaltending and like you said the games that he played he never really got the sense playing at their best in front of him especially like as the team improved as the season went on so i think i'm still very confident in forsberg if, if, assuming health-wise he can come into the season healthy next season yeah exactly it kind of sucked that his injury kind of co coincided right where the team was really taking that turn and kind of, you know, looking like uh, a much stronger team um, in terms of what we saw for large parts of the first half anyways. Um, so I'm just trying to pull him up on hockey reference here. And yeah, he finished the year with a three, um, 2.94 goal saved above expected, which is right around the lower end of starters. You know, it ranked him 42nd, but I have no uh, filters on. So there's a bunch of guys who started three games. Like Kevin Mandelis had had technically more. And same with Dylan Ferguson, who played two Unreal games, and that's all we saw out of them. So, um, yeah, like he played fine. And I think, again, this was a bit of an underwhelming year. So uh, I it'll be interesting to see what they do as a partner for him next year. But I definitely think as long as he has a good training this offseason, he's another guy. I expect him to come in, probably play the 40 to 45 game mark and just be a solid option for them again next year. Cam Talbot is the next guy up and uh, I'll let you go first on this one. The end of the year definitely wasn't great. Uh, you know, looking at his totality, maybe a little better. Where did you end up landing on Cam, Cam Talbot? Is a great really at a C plus. Like at the end of the day, I think fans had far too high expectations of Cam Talbot under the He was an all-star last year, but 
as we all know, the Minnesota system is a fantastic place to be for goalies. And I think that's exactly what we showed with Talbot. When he came to Ottawa, wasn't quite getting that defense here. And uh, he was actually decent for the first half of the season before, like you mentioned, just tailing off completely at the end. So I think we probably could have hoped for a bit more, but at the end of the day, Talbot is a 35-year-old goalie who's reaching the pinnacle of his career. So I, obviously he's not coming back next year, but I think it was probably worth the gamble when you're a team that you want a guy that's been through the grinder of all these regular seasons of playoffs if we were to have made it. Yeah, I'm going to give him a CC plus area there. I think definitely the trade, like obviously how good Gustafson has been in Minnesota is obviously making it look worse as well. Um, yeah, I echo your statement of Minnesota's had a massive history of making goalies look better than than they actually are. Gustafson was not posting a 940 or whatever in Ottawa. That you know, that being said, you can still definitely look back and say, oh, that was a mistake. Even if Gustafson posted a nine. 12 here that would be an improvement on anything Ottawa got right so um yeah it's unfortunate um but I, I do agree Cam Talbot was better in the start of the season than I think people remember but he just absolutely imploded by the end of the year to the point where like there was like eight games left I was like why is he even dressing right now unfortunately so um yeah just just a disappointing trade and um, not a good stint here. And for a guy that, you know, I, I had a little higher expectations of for sure, but um, yeah, that, I'm I'm fine with them not bringing him back and we'll see if he finds another contract in the NHL. And the other goalie that played any kind of substance was Matt Sogard who played 19 games um, for the team. I don't know. He, he's another tough one where he looked good some nights and then very, very, very shaky other nights. I'm going to give him a C plus maybe. Um, the expectations weren't super high, I guess. So maybe you could bump him up to a B minus. But uh, I, I thought his highs looked really good. Like the good games looked really good, but the bad games looked really, really bad. Like there was a couple of games where he was giving up like five goals on 12 shots. Like, well, this just can't happen. Yeah, for me, he's a B just because I didn't have super high expectations for him in the NHL. Like, you look at his Belleville numbers, he only had a .893 save percentage down there with 3.47 GAA. And those numbers were almost, like, completely reflected in his NHL game. Almost, like, near identical numbers in the NHL. So, he's exactly, I guess, what you expected. Very high highs, very low lows, inconsistency of a young goaltender. It'll be interesting to see the battle between him and Levi to see who comes out as the uh, top prospect in the coming years. Yeah, exactly. And it'll definitely be interesting to see what the hell they do for that second role next year. Cause you know, as long as you can, I I've seen them already. People go, Oh, well they should go trade another one of their goalies for a proven goalies. We just did that and it backfired. So like, I'm totally okay. Bringing in someone else to, to play with Forsberg to let these guys uh, cook in the AHL a little bit, but I don't think it should be at the expense of getting rid of one of your younger guys. Right. So um, definitely, definitely a difficult position for the Sens here. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um if I'm not mistaken, I believe that is all the roster players that we have gone over. Did I miss anyone out of the top of your head? I, I don't believe I did. I think the only uh, one you can maybe touch on is JBD for his little stretch at the end there. Yep, that, that's a good point as well. Um, I, I I didn't have too much to say about it. I, I like JBD every time he's come up. I, I thought he's like just kind of okay. Um, so maybe I'll give him a B, B minus, you know, there, there's definitely been times where he looks out of place, but then there's other times where it's like, I don't think it's done worse than what we're playing right now. So um, yeah, B, B minus area for me for JBD. Do you have anything yeah. else on that? Yeah, I've got him at a B. Like he's doing exactly what you're expecting. 
he can soak up bottom pairing minutes, not look completely out of place. Still has the obvious struggles of a younger defenseman, but I think he's at a point now where you could probably live comfortably if he was your sixth defenseman. Yep, I think it'll be he'll be pushing for that spot internally. I think next year, and I I do hope that he has a good enough training camp that will prove to the coaching staff he deserves it as well. Uh, all right, let's get on to the coaching staff then. We'll, we'll start with them. We'll just put some of them up as one kind of, you know, DJ Smith and I love the bench kind of, you know, because I, I think it's, it's way too hard to kind of dissect what different assistant coaches do or whatever. So we'll just call it DJ Smith, AKA the coaching staff. Um, what was your opinion on Smith this year? I think we'd give them a solid B. Like they did what they were expected. Like even like Dorian mentioned in his year end press conference, they started to win more like they almost got a playoff spot they were close obviously we had that horrid november which we really need to stop doing at the same time they did turn this team into one of the best power play units in the entire nhl they they're hot like the season the highs were very high but the lows were very low which just shows a lack of consistency in our play style and just based off all the grades that we just gave our players, how many A pluses did we hand out? And we still fell out of the playoffs. You have so many players hitting above what you expect. I think that as what brings in the question for most fans is you definitely feel like there's a higher ceiling for this team that this coaching staff just can't quite hit. Yeah. I, that's the perfect way to put it. I'm going to give them a B minus. And one of the biggest reasons why is just the amount of like, delay of game or uh, too many men calls and stuff like that's on the coaching staff, you know, just it's undisciplined, you know, uh, same with, yeah, just, just the way that they fell asleep for even periods at a time was kind of insane. And, and I think on the coaching staff finds more consistency, but you're absolutely right in terms of, I think there's a lot that they did really well, including developing Stutzla and Kachuk and, and, you know, I, I don't know about Jake Sanderson. I think he was just going to be good regardless, but, but, you know, like they, and even like, I, I see that I've said the same thing for three years in a row. There's stuff about DJ Smith that drives me insane, but then he goes and fixes it. It's just 25 games too late, you know? Like it's just so it's crazy to me where I don't think he's necessarily a bad coach, but I definitely think you hit the nail on the head when I just think he's kind of at the end of the rope of the what his ceiling is with this team. You know, he's done his job. He's gotten all the young guys to be, you know, on that fringe superstar area where we want them to be. I think it's time to bring in a new coaching staff to to get the discipline down and and take that team from the really good team that's just on the bubble of playoffs to over the edge where they're definitely in a playoff spot. And I just, I personally don't see that being DJ Smith. Uh, all right, Pierre Dorian, I, GM over the course of a year is a little hard, obviously. Um, but for Pierre Dorian, it depends how you want to look. If you want to look at just the moves for this season, I think I'm a little lower on him. Obviously, the Drew one was amazing. Um, and but you know, there's then the Cam Talbot move on the other side. And how much flack did we just give the bottom six? We truly didn't give the bottom six horrible grades because we kind of knew they were going to be not that great. And to me, that part is majorly on, on Pierre Dorian going into the year, knowing that the bottom six might not be very good. So I think if we're just looking at this season, I would probably lean towards a B minus C plus, but if you're also taking in the contracts he signed during the course of this season, I'm closer to a B B plus, maybe even an A minus because the Tim Stutzel contract already looks like it's going to be a steal. I really like the Artem Zub contract that he locked down and Giroux's under contract for two more years as well. So I guess it depends how you evaluate it. Yeah. I think I've been an A minus. Like it's a, like you mentioned, it's a very mixed bag. He did. He's already done the hardest parts. Lockdown Stutzla. 
He's brought in Giroud to bring to that top six, giving up no nothing for Giroud's game as UFA, not giving up anything terrible for Debrinkat. He's already short up the defense by bringing in a guy that's still two more, I believe, two more years left on his contract in Chikrin at also a pretty good average value, mm-hmm. like around four and a half or something. And uh, yeah, like he's done the hard parts of bringing all his high end talent in. On the flip side, like you mentioned, though, like as we just discussed through this uh, this podcast, the uh, bottom six, I gave most of them around like a B grade, meaning they met my expectations, which isn't a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> they met expectations and the bottom six still stunk, which shows you that is a management problem where he did not quite build a strong bottom six, which is the final step to building a contending team, right? You can have a strong top six, but without that depth scoring, you're not going to win those close games, which we saw this season. So it is a mixed bag. I'll give him an A-minus just because he pulled off all those hard moves that we've been asking for as fans forever. I am willing to give him one more year to try to fix that bottom six, but at the same time, I would not be opposed if new ownership decided to just revamp the front office completely. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I don't know how I forgot it with the Chichen trade. That bumps his grade up a little bit for sure. I, I like that deal a lot. You know, So maybe a B I'll go with and then an A-minus if you include the Stutzla extension and whatnot. And, and yeah, like I totally with you with the ownership thing where – um, I, I think if it was me and I, like, let's say we're the new owners were coming in this summer, I would, I think Smith should be gone. I could flip a coin on Dorian. I don't really care either way. The one thing that concerns me at the bottom six regarding Dorian is I've never really liked his vision for it. You know, it feels like, and I don't know if that's just because he's always tried to go cheap and it's a rebuilding team. So he's always going, let's just go get old guys who are not going to cost a lot and quote unquote good in the room. Or if that's just truly he, how he believes you should build a bottom six. Cause if it's the latter, I'm a lot more worried in terms of, I just don't know what's going to change if he gets another shot at it versus if it was the former. Yeah. Maybe we give him one more shot and see if he can bring in some actual, you know, impact players is maybe the wrong word, but just, suitable good players in the bottom six uh other than that i don't think there's too much uh too much else to touch on um did you want to give a we'll give an mvp pick for the entire team um i'm assuming i'll let you go first i I think there's an easy enough answer but you could maybe argue a couple guys here but uh give me your mvp for the team this year i think it's got to be claude Giroux. like this is a guy that's made playoffs in the past has had a lot of individual and team success, even with weaker Philadelphia teams. And I think he just brought that new energy to the team. He elevated Kachuk and Stutzla's game. They both obviously credit him a lot to their seasons this year. And we saw even off the ice in terms of like him yelling at the coaching staff, grabbing the clipboard, who knows how much he's probably also helping off the ice and figuring out like things going wrong in terms of coaching. Like I think he's bringing a ton to this team and he's going to be a big reason why we make the playoffs next year probably. Yeah, I, I actually thought I was going to be the one to give the Giroux pitch. Uh, I'll go with the other guy then, Tim Stutzla, who, yeah, obviously learned a lot from Giroux, I think, this year, but was the absolute just stud when it comes to scoring big goals when you need them, putting up the points. 90 points, like, oh, when was the last time we saw a center do that? Um, you know, it's uh, – the sky's the limit for him. Like, yeah, honestly – if you told me he had 105 points next year, that is lofty expectations. But like, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he did end up growing to that level. You know, I, I'm not just going to automatically assume it gets hit, but again, like that's the ceiling kind of thing that I think he has. So I'll go with Tim Stutzel, you know, just one of the more dynamic players we saw really drag this team, even when it was going through some offensive uh, black holes, kind of, he was obviously, he was uh, always seemed to be the dude who just light the spark uh, and really got the offense going. So I'll go with him for the team MVP, but yeah, overall 
I think it's fair to say it was quite the up and down season for the Ottawa Senators. There was a, a lot of good, as we've highlighted, but also a lot of stuff that they can still improve, which is evident by them missing the, the playoffs by six or seven points or whatever and ended up being. But um, again, I, I think if you told most most fans that by game 80 of the season, they were still technically mathematically in the playoffs. And honestly, even by game 75, there was hope that they could still make the playoffs. I think almost everyone would have signed off on that, right? So. Yep, I think the one thing we're hoping next year is we finally get to avoid that deadly November that we've <laughs> getting far too used to. Yeah, it, it's got to be like you just good teams cannot lose eight in a row without taking points. And, and, you know, honestly, Ottawa had that November and then they had another stretch when they went out west and lost the the five in a row with getting no points there. So it's it's unfortunate that those two those two points in the season really killed them. But that's what, you know, a maturing team needs to avoid going forward. So we'll see if they're able to do it. And I'm sure it'll be a, a very exciting offseason as there's lots to do this summer still for Ottawa. So, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me for this, man. I, I, this is an absolute blast. I, one of my favorite favorite episodes do every year uh plug some stuff where can people find you or anything you want to plug yep just my twitter at bring back lee and uh like you said this is gonna be an exciting off season i'm sure we're gonna have more to talk about come summer yeah 100 so definitely have you back on the podcast down the road and take care and it was a uh, good chatting to you Eric, thanks again Huge thanks to Kevin, as mentioned, for joining. Uh, if you haven't already, definitely go give him a follow on Twitter. He's one of the best guys out there on Sense Twitter. Always willing to talk hockey with whoever. Um, you know, just a great guy. So can't, can't recommend it enough. And I hope everyone enjoyed our third annual Grading the Ottawa Senators. I definitely, we were talking, I was talking off air actually with Kevin. It's funny. And it, it's so weird how many A-pluses we gave out. And, you know, honestly, how little... C's we gave out and just kind of, you know, how they'd still miss the playoffs by five or six points. But, um, you know, I think you can take that two ways. You know, one, the hard part is done. They have found, you know, the core guys who look like they are going to be able to be good enough to take this team where it needs to be, but they do need some depth help. And theoretically, the depth help should be, you know, the easiest part of the equation to find. So um, definitely going to be an exciting offseason, and I, I plan to keep uh, keep podcasting as well. Um if you want to hear more of my voice, especially on the playoffs, which uh, we've had some great, as I'm recording now, it is um, uh, game ones have all been played and it's been some great hockey so far. So if you want to get my voice on the playoffs, you can check out the MNM Hockey Podcast. Me and my co-host, my buddy Chase McCallum, host that one. And we are going to twice a week for that, for the playoffs. We are usually every Thursday. We're going to every Monday and Thursday. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, even SoundCloud, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Go check us out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff, uh, as, as well as the account on Twitter at Last Word on Sends and all my stuff at LastWordOnHockey.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Talk to you.